This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Took a lot longer than we ever could have expected, but here we are. Heat Nuggets. We got to a game seven of the Miami Heat versus the Boston Celtics. A lot of drama considering uh, the Celtics were looking to do what 150 other teams that were down 3-0 had not been able to do, which is win a game seven. And they were unable to do it and quite the anticlimactic game because – the first play of the game, Jason Tatum rolls his ankle. The first quarter of the game, the Boston Celtics put up their lowest scoring first quarter of the entire season. And though, you know, there were a couple runs here and there, a couple times where the crowd got into it, you know, the Heat really controlled this game from beginning to end and end up with the final score walloping them and it can't be, can't be happy times in Boston when you've got Bam Adebayo holding up the Bob Cousy trophy and Jimmy Butler holding up the Larry Bird trophy in Boston where they were able to win three games in this series and win the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I, I guess I'm not surprised the Heat won. I am surprised in the manner in which they won. What say you? I'm surprised they handled it in the way they did too, Chris. Um, I mean, you don't expect this to happen on your home floor, but ultimately this is a Celtics team that has struggled at home uh, throughout the season and in the playoffs. Uh, they are a team that historically, you know, I like they've, when their backs are against the wall, they're, they've had success down 3-2. They had success down 3-0. But a lot of the times when they've been in those situations, once they're up, then they kind of slip back. And that's happened over the years with them. Um, in game seven against the Cavs in 2018, their offense kind of clenched up, couldn't get anything going. I believe they had 79 or 78 points in that game, only 84 tonight. This is something that's been happening regardless of, you know, the supporting cast, regardless of the coach. Um, to me, this is something that has been a symptom of the Tatum Brown led teams for, you know, five plus years now that in some of these tough games, they just kind of fold on offense. But ultimately, though, I think more than anything else, credit needs to go to Miami. They came into this game seven with a really like it can't happen after the game. Spo said, we're going to go up there and we're going to figure it out. We're going to do it somehow. And to have this type of resilience after losing three games in a row, 
and potentially being the first team in NBA history to blow a 3-0 lead in the East Finals, mind you. Not just the first round, not just the second round, but in the East Finals on the doorstep of the NBA Finals, the mental toughness, and then to execute the game plan the way in which they did. Spo throwing out a little sprinkle of zone and press. Their defense, the perfect rotations on so many switches and rotations in that first half, aside from the Celtics slipping on some screens early. They just came out with an unbelievable game plan. And every time the Celtics made a little run, crowds going crazy, noise being pumped through the speakers, Miami just hit poised shots every single time. It was a remarkable performance by the Heat, and in some ways it couldn't have happened any other way at all for them to be in this point as an eight seed, uh, almost blowing a 3-0 lead, and now here they are. So they're up 17 in the first half, and then by the time they get to halftime, they're up by 11. And in the third quarter, I actually wrote down that at one point their lead had gotten dwindled. They were up 16. Celtics go on an 8-0 run. You'll remember this. And there's a there's mm-hmm. a little bump and a finish and a three-point play by Derek White. And this is exactly to your point. So it gets cut to eight. Heat go down to the other end. Caleb Martin bangs down a shot right back to 10. Celtics come down. Jalen Brown takes a crap three, bricks it. You know, now it's now it's back to you know, like it was like all the momentum was gone. It was like here they come. Here's the run. Here's the 15 to 2 run. Here's a 17 to 2 run. Here's where the crowd is going about to jump on top of Miami. And it never came because of those timely baskets. And my God, Caleb Martin, the aforementioned, Whew. he was unbelievable. Awesome. Awesome. Unbelievable. The whole night, I mean, starts off the game in the first half. He's 14.7 rebounds, two of three from three. And it's not just, you know, the counting numbers. It's the timeliness of his production. He, He ends the game with 26 points, 10 rebounds, three assists. He doesn't turn the ball over. He gets you a steal. And he plays 44 minutes, the most on the entire team. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He was absolutely magnificent the whole series. I know Jimmy Butler won, you know, the the player of the series or whatever. Um, but Kayla Martin probably should have won that award if we're being honest. He was their most consistent option. He played heavy minutes. He was very good on defense. He 15 rebounds in game six, 10 rebounds tonight, crashing the board, super active. The clutch shot making, you know, he made smart plays on the floor. He didn't force the issue either. You know, he had one heat check three that he pulled up and missed. But I mean, I thought he played as good of a basketball game as you can ask for. Never mind from a guy who's a non-star player, an undrafted player. Like you had that context on top of it. I know. I think it was Reggie Miller might have said during the broadcast, if you're just tuning in and seeing Caleb Martin and wondering who this guy is, he's been doing this the whole playoffs, the whole series. And it's true, man. That's that he represents this Miami roster, though. We talked about it last week, I believe, after they were up 3-0, right? <laughs> about yeah. all the undrafted guys on this roster and what they represent with the toughness and the resilience they had a battle through to get to this point from the Gabe Vincents and Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, Jimmy Butler being the head of that above everybody else on that roster. But 
Caleb Martin, man, I, I'll tell you what, when he's, when you got him at, at 26 points on 11 to 16, then you look at the other side and Jalen Brown, uh, the guy who's potentially going to get paid five years, $295 million with only 19 points on 23 shots with eight turnovers, just a d- disastrous game by Jalen Brown on the flip side of that from the non-star player next to Jason Tatum. Look, well, hold on now. I know you're saying non-star. He did make an all-NBA team, yeah. which is why he has the ability to make well, that kind of I, I money. Should, okay? I should say, I should say, let me let me let me rephrase that. The non-best player. The non-best yeah. player. And, not so like Tatum and, being the best player and Butler being the best player on Miami. That's a better way to put it. And here's the deal. It was clearly the worst time to have a pathetic game considering it's game seven. Beyond that, it is compounded with Tatum being an absolute shell of himself. This is when they needed Jalen Brown to be great. They didn't need average Jalen Brown. They needed great Jalen Brown tonight because they didn't have a guy. You know, for 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 the most part, it looked like Derek White. So, I, I mean, there were so many possessions where I was like, all right, so Derek White's the guy now. Because in their half court, you know, there's just there's so much bailout that comes along with Tatum in him being able to get you shots or get somebody else shots. He was unable to do either of those tonight. And you could see, I mean, he played through it and but he was wincing the entire game. Yeah, he was he wincing was. the entire game. Definitely and he clearly hurt. was not able to be an impactful player. And then on the other side, you know, they just, they start hunting him by the time it got to the fourth, they're hunting him because they know this guy can't move. Right. And so with Tatum banged up, they needed a great Jalen Brown. The other thing is this, Kev, we talked the whole series and I know you tweeted this out after game six, you know, they get this unbelievable carom and the Derek white, you know, miraculous finish. And, but underlying with that was that they were not, they were not hitting threes at the rate that has been indicative of Celtics victories throughout this year. We've talked a million times about how they shoot 40%. They win. If they don't shoot 40%, they're a less than 500 team over the course of the season. They're very dependent on that shot. They got away with not shooting a high clip. In fact, shooting a miserable clip. In game six. But their worst clip say, of the we, entire season, Chris. Right. The but, whole but we season. have a very big sample size that says they're not winning games like that. Right? They're not winning games when they're shooting that poorly. And they come out tonight and they're 0 of 10 from 3 in the first quarter. In that lowest scoring quarter. They start off 2 for 15. They end the game Nine for 42. Whew. And I know that the old school guys and the TNT guys are like, look, this can't just be, hey, if we make a bunch of threes, we win. If we don't make a bunch of threes, we lose. Like, take the ball to the basket. This is a team that you are playing against that has very little rim protection, you know? And so – you are bailing them out. I mean, I think you're going to see a different deal with Jokic in that next round. Um, 
clearly you're going to see a much different deal with Jokic in that next round. But I felt like there's just, if you're not going to punish them for being small and you're going to take threes, no matter whether you're making them or not, you're at mercy of games like this. And when you're nine of 42, not only do you get beat, you get destroyed. And it's hard. It's hard to make threes at a very high clip as the series go on. You're playing every other day. Legs are tired. And making threes at a very high clip, especially when you're taking a lot of half-court threes, probably isn't in the cards. And it just didn't seem to matter. That's how they play. And so they went down with that ship. It really was live by the three, die by the three. They got away with it in game six, but they sure didn't tonight. Well, I mean, it, within this series, you know, game three, they shot 26.2%. They obviously lose that one considering they started down 03. That was there at the time, their sixth worst three point shooting percentage of the entire series. Game six, they shoot 20%, their worst percentage of the entire season. Tonight, they shoot 21.4%, which tied for second worst percentage of the entire season. So, like, within this one series, they had three games shooting their worst percentages of the entire series. And I think that's in part by Miami's closeouts. You know, we see Duncan Robinson block a Jalen Brown three tonight. They're closing out really hard, trying to get them off the line, really closing out on the on the shooting hand side of those closeouts. But also, I think it's tired legs, too. I think your point that Jay, Jason Tatum's turned ankle is not responsible for Jalen Brown's 50 bad shots and eight turnovers is yeah. a worthy one. <laughs> Jay, I mean, look, Jalen, I mean, look, the, I, I look forward to seeing what the conversation about Jalen Brown is going to be in the coming weeks, weeks leading up to free agency, because, you know, here's a guy who's going to be potentially getting paid five years, $295 million. He did not look like a $50 million player in a must-win game seven in which his co-star did need some assistance with shot creation. The the Jalen Brown-led offense did not produce in the way in which they, they needed it to. He was sloppy with the ball, took bad shots. He did not look like a guy that's going to be worth that money. And so now for the Celtics, you think about their situation. What do you do? Can you pay well, him that money? It conv- can you? Conventional wisdom is, well, you got to pay him. Yes. You can't lose yes. him for nothing, but you could try to flip that's, him. That's the answer. Yes. You, you keep the asset. And then you could do But you got to try to flip him. But but you got to try that's to flip fine. him. Portland, Portland for something that's involving fine. three. But you, for but, Washington, Washington with Beal. Like, you got to look for deals out there. You have to. Let me ask you this, though. I'm going to play devil's advocate on this, all right? Okay. They're in the finals or the Easter Conference finals damn near every year. I I agree. That's so bad. I mean, you're a game away from another finals tonight. And they're both not at the prime age yet. But they're not at the prime age yet. Boston sports teams don't raise banners for making it to a game seven in these finals or making it to the NBA finals. It's about winning the whole thing. And with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, maybe you can win with those two, 
but you need a playmaking presence on your team. As much as I love Derek White, that guy is awesome. Even putting aside the miraculous putback in game six, that guy is awesome. He's been great for them all year long. He figured out how to shoot as a consistent guy from behind the arc. Brogdon's solid. Marcus Smart isn't quite the same defensively, but he still does Marcus Smart things out there. We'll see how effective he is after the NBA changes the flopping rules, but they need a guy in that backcourt who can steer the offense. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So last week, Raphael Barlow, an NBA draft analyst, put on his Substack a report that he's hearing the Charlotte Hornets with the number two pick are weighing trade downs. That's big news. They have the number two pick, Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, could have teams trying to trade up there. We already know Portland with number three is entertaining trades out or down from that number three spot. So, I mean, we'll see with Charlotte here. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do. If they prefer an Amen Thompson or an Osar Thompson or a Cam Whitmore, you could trade down from number two to a five, a six, or seven. Orlando's got two lottery picks at six. Indiana has three first-round picks at number seven. They have a lot of options there. But if they stay there, I had a recent conversation with Jake Eilman and Tate Frazier, who is a Charlotte Hornets fan, about what they should do. Uh, here's my conversation with them getting into the Hornets. Hornets, who landed the number two pick in the NBA draft. Number two again. Sound familiar? Yeah, I feel like this is deja vu. I don't know how this keeps happening, but the Hornets get the number two pick right when you want, you know, Shaq or Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis. <laughs> you settle for Michael Kidd Gilchrist, right? <laughs> what a consolation. Oh, my God. T Tate, of course, big Charlotte guy, mostly known for North Carolina Tar Heels, but also a, a Hornets fan, a former Bobcats fan. 
Now I don't know about the bobcat. <laughs> I would put. I would, you got to make sure you put tortured in there. Yeah, because it just anytime you talk about your your energy when you talk about UNC as opposed to the Hornets. I mean, you were arguing against the Hornets getting women. Yeah, that, which is like an amazing like self intentional <laughs> well, self own that you don't see very much. New Orleans stole the original Hornets, right? And I still think that they have our good fortune, right? I feel like Zion would have been on the Hornets if they never left. You know what I mean? And Anthony Davis as well. We we just don't know what we're doing in Charlotte, and we'll talk about that, of course. Of course. Well, I mean, they're in a position now where they have LaMelo Ball, who's the face of their franchise, a former top pick, and he's a great young player. You land number two, and available at that slot is Scoot Henderson, G League Ignite point guard, you know, six foot two, high flying, athletic guard, can pass a little bit, pull up guy. Not the perfect fit with LaMelo. And then Brandon Miller, six nine, forward. Do like three level score, lean, skinny, needs to get stronger as he showed at Alabama over the season. Can pass a bit too. Better defender than Scoot. A lot of people consider Scoot the higher upside guy. I personally prefer Miller. Charlotte's got a big decision here, and it's gonna really steer the direction of how they're building with Lamelo. Do you have any sense, Tate, of what way the Hornets might be leaning with the number two pick here? Because this is really where the draft starts with Wemby going number one. Um, I know in your draft guide, you have Brandon Miller. I like Brandon Miller as like a 6'9 shooting guard, someone that can initiate his own offense. I like that he has, you know, he's a head-up dribbler, right? He's looking for guys. He makes plays for himself, makes plays for others. I think he would be a great fit there. And it sounds like early on, Charlotte is putting out that, you know, Brandon Miller would probably be a fit for them more so than Scoot. And maybe that's because of LaMelo. Who knows? Interesting. Do you do you have any sense if this is something that could be like early on smoke screens? Could do you think it's solid? I mean, how do you feel about the, like the how reliable that is this early on? I have been, um, you know, I've been told things before and they have gone different directions. Like I one example, you know, was Donovan Mitchell, right? It was a Charlotte Hornet. That was what everyone knew. It was kind of like a foregone conclusion. And then Malik Monk slips in the draft. Michael Jordan says, "I remember watching this guy score forty seven <laughs> points." There in person. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, and we know the rest is history Malik Monk ends up going 11th uh Donovan Mitchell ends up not signing with Jordan and you know that's just how things happen in the draft but I think as of right now the Hornets probably are going to put out to the world and with their headlines that Brandon Miller is the pick which is good for Portland right because they're shopping that third pick and if you believe in Scoot Henderson being a franchise level player maybe they have a you know a better ability to shop that pick I think either one of those players works uh, hypothetically with LaMelo. I think the beauty of LaMelo uh, is his game, which is just <laughs> fun to watch. Uh, I, I, but I think his like kind of pliability in the half court, people think of him as like when he came into the league, you were like, okay, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's just going to, everything's going to kind of be Trey Young style. He's going to dictate everything. And he doesn't play like that. Uh, LaMelo is very comfortable. He's kind of, he's more of the Steph uh, species of player than I'm not trying to compare them directly, but I mean that in that, like he'll come into a half court set, you know, pass the ball, make a cut. He's really willing to move off the ball. He's a pretty solid relocation shooter from three. And I th- honestly think like, if you look at them, t- the two of them side by side, a, I think that Brandon Miller and scoot are kind of on the same level as passers. I don't know that people who have like, maybe not paid, super close attention to would would know that but uh of course it's just my opinion but like scoot i think would give them 
he could take on ball assignments. He could be a ball pressure guy. He can give you some rim pressure. And I, th- I just think the two of them have a nice dynamic that would sort of flow together. I, and I think that's mainly driven by the fact that LaMelo, and you put LaMelo's passing within the flow of their offense. I think it could lead to some pretty promising things. Yeah, I see a lot of hockey assists in the future with LaMelo. Oh, yeah. And I like him as kind of a de facto two guard. You know, I, I think that he has the size to be a two guard. I don't think it's going to hurt them on the defensive end. And if you have someone that can get downhill like Scoot, it takes pressure off LaMelo, probably gives him more space to shoot the ball because, like you said, he's a Steph species. And if you have someone that can get downhill and create space for you, drive and kick, I mean, those things all check the box. So some of the early stuff I saw about maybe you shop LaMelo for Scoot, I think they nah, actually no. could play together. Yeah. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's a talent level there on different planets, I think. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I think, Kyle, you're right on. I mean, they, they could connect. Like Tate said, a lot of hockey assists potentially in their future if it's Scoot and LaMelo. And the ball pressure aspect, you're right. Like, that's what Scoot would add, you know, getting to the basket. Rim pressure, I should say, getting to the basket, you know, driving. It's both, kick. It's both guarding yes. the ball and yes, attacking for, the basket. For yeah. sure. And I think, you know, the reason why I lean towards Miller, which is why it's interesting that that's what's floating out there right now with Miller possibly being. I'm pretty you know, sure Kupchak already did an interview where he kind of said, you know, they like Brandon Miller's game. We saw Malika at the lottery show. She asked about Brandon Miller to Woj. He said that teams, as they're doing their evaluations, they feel fine taking him number two, number three. So Yeah, and I just think the playmaking ability is there. I mean, we've seen him have so many chase down blocks over the season in Alabama, the willingness to take charges. I just think the defensive versatility he would add to that team. If you re-sign P.J. Washington, a restricted free agent this offseason, you've got Mark Williams who helped you have one of the top defenses in the second half of the season as a rookie big. Suddenly, if you got P.J. and Mark Williams and Brandon Miller. Dennis and Smith Jr., Lam- nice I mean, veteran. Oh, lest sure. we forget Nick Richards, folks. Yeah. Come on. Right? Yeah. Come on. Solid. Who, who picked Kentucky because his favorite color was blue. One of my favorite <laughs> recruitment stories ever. <laughs> Oh, I mean, as Charlotte, man, yeah. I mean, you know, the roster is they had they had high odds for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's not a good team. LaMelo missed a lot of games, but there's but there's something there. There's something there, but they they have to get it right with this pick. They have to. They can't have a whiff. There were little little inklings of defensive traction for them towards the end of the year that were like they were there. You Dennis had to be paying Smith, attention. Mark Williams, it's there. Yeah, the re mm-hmm. the rejuvenation of Dennis Smith's career. But yeah, I think Miller fits with them for the reason. I think handle is the key thing. If you're that size and you can handle the ball and shoot, it just opens up so many developmental pathways. And he seems self aware. Like you said, we talked to him earlier. You talked to him in Houston about his. His ability to get to the basket i think it's less a question of of like whether or not he can it's more of a physical question for me for him whether he's going to be able to become a good finisher probably more like jason tatum honestly the way he's had to develop and sort of weaponize his scoring and playmaking ability but yeah you had another handler like that that's six nine why not and imagine a backcourt if he were to become a two guard like some people have speculated if you have a six foot six point guard and a six foot nine two guard that's a mismatch. I mean, that's hard to deal with when you get to get to the playoffs. So I, I think that would be fun. I mean, I hope the Hornets are in the playoffs soon for your own sake, Tate. <laughs> hey, we'll take the play in. We'll take the play in. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining me to talk about the Charlotte Hornets. Glad to be here.